Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. give God some praise in the room today. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Hope Elam. Gratitude. Gratitude. Is anybody grateful to be in God's house today? Just grateful? Yeah. Just grateful to be in God's presence. Gratitude. That, that song is simply called Gratitude, and that's what I uh, feel today. I don't know if you know this about gratitude. Gratitude is a, is a feeling, and it's not something we can just conjure up. It doesn't always come naturally, but gratitude, for those that know Jesus, is an overflow of knowing who we are and whose we are. Amen? And I will tell you this, as we just sang and worshiped together those last few times, there is nothing more powerful than a room full of men and women who know who they are in Christ. Amen? That's powerful. That's powerful. Gratitude. Gratitude. That is the the expression uh, of my heart. Speaking of gratitude, Hope Elam, it is so good to be back here with you. It's so good to be home. I have missed you. And if you are here today and you're like, who's the new preacher man? I, don't, I have no idea who this guy is. That's awesome because that means that you're new within the last two months. And we love new people at Hope Elam. So praise God that you're here. Um, it's my first day back, so we can be new together today. It's just new person Sunday, I guess, uh, here. But if you've been around a while, uh, my name's John, one of the pastors here. And been on sabbatical for the last couple months, just an extended time away for rest and refreshment and uh, just being with God, spending time in his presence, spending a lot of quality time being fully present uh, for my family and just resting. And so I just want to say thank you so much for uh, just the way that you have loved and uh, supported uh, that time away. And I think one of the greatest blessings that I've, I've felt both as we announced this and, and during the time that I was gone and upon coming back is your, <laughs> your celebration of and support of and cheering on rest. Like, praise God for that. that that's, not, that's not normal. And rest in the Lord. We live in a workaholic culture. We live in a culture that, that praises productivity above all else and busyness for God and doing all these things. And here's why I love that. Your response and your cheering and your support and your love of my family and I shows the heart of this church. Shows the heart of this and it's deeper than rest. The heart of this church is that we lift up health more than busyness. That we celebrate when we're healthy, like physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, those things are lifted up. That what it means to follow Jesus is not how much you can do for him, but simply being with him. And that our doing is an overflow of our being. Amen? And so we celebrate that. We celebrate that. Here's the thing. We live in a culture where busyness is kind of worn like a badge of honor. You know, oh man, I just, how you been? Oh, super busy. 
Sometimes I just want to respond, hot's too bad. Like, I say that about myself, too. Like, I catch myself. It's an automatic reaction. We live in a culture that wears busyness as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I work 60 hours. I'm just, you know, really super busy. Like, wow. Well, like, can we care for your heart? Can we care for your soul a little bit? And I'm preaching to myself, too. I live in this culture, too. And we wear busyness as a badge of honor. But can I say this? If you are known and loved by God... That you are already more significant than you will ever be. And the only badge of honor that you should be wearing is that you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Like, wear that. Don't stand up and say, hey, who's worked the most this week? Stand up and say, I'm a son of the living God. Praise God, right? I'm a daughter. This is awesome. Wear that as a badge of honor. And so I just want to thank you so, so much. I'm so grateful for that time away. It was just so good uh, to come back now. And uh, I just want to say this. Um, there is several scriptures that I uh, really meditated on during my time away. And one of them uh, was John 15, verse 5. Jesus is talking to us about being the vine and the branches. Let's just read this nice and loud together. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that pretty much comes right out and says it, right? The point of the Christian faith is abiding, is remaining. Everybody say remain. Remain. To remain, to stay connected to the vine, to the source that is Jesus. What a gift. Rest is not just a gift for pastors. Rest is a gift that God gives to all of us, and it's not the Ten Suggestions, it's the Ten Commandments. And it's right there, and he commands it because God cares about you, because he loves you. That, and it's not just longs of vacations or trips. He gives you this gift every single week, the gift of a 24-hour period called a Sabbath, where you remind yourself that my value and worth is not defined by my productivity. That even if I didn't accomplish anything, like we just saying, I've never been more loved than I am right now. And maybe somebody here today just needs to hear that. You spent the entire week beating yourself up and listening to all the other voices swirling around you, and you need to hear the voice of your heavenly Father say, you've never been more loved than you are right now. I love you right here, right now. Remain in me. Stay connected to the source. Let your doing flow out of your being. My challenge to you this summer is this. Have you spent time simply abiding? As you look back on your summer, what is going to determine whether it was a successful summer? FOMO? Like, I made all the things, all fear of missing out. You know, I went to all the concerts and all the social gatherings and all the festivals and all the events and all the, all the get-togethers and everything like that, and I shuttled my kids around, and I get that. I'm in the Uber driver stage of parenting, too. Right? I, I get that. <laughs> Have you taken time this summer to let your soul catch up to your body? Because some of us feel that detachment. <laughs> Jesus desires wholeness in your life. Have you taken time to slow down and be with Jesus this summer? That is what will make it a successful summer. Branches can't grow if they're not connected to the vine. Amen? So be with Jesus. And most importantly, as I step back in, uh, I just want to tell you this. I was sitting down here last week just taking in Pastor Brian's message and just looking around during worship and looking at all of you. And this is literally, this is the first emotion that I felt like pride, like a healthy pride. And I just thought to myself, I am so proud of this church. I love that this is my church home. I love you. I love you. I genuinely love you. Feel that. 
And here's the thing. If we're going to be known for something as a church, how about love? How about love? Like the, the mark of a healthy church is love. And that's where we're going today. I mean, if, if, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know, where, where are you going to church these days? And you're like, oh, Hope Elam. Wouldn't it be awesome if the first thing out of the, oh, they're the ones with the big brick building? Yeah. Oh, they're the ones that have the big breakfast. It's really awesome. Yeah. Oh, you guys are the ones with all the ministries in your building. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome if the very first thing that just came out of them, oh, those are the people that are on fire in love with Jesus, and they love each other. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, that's the thing that defines us. That, that, that is what defines us as a church. That's, that's the marker. And that's, and that's where we're going today. That's Paul's heart for the church in Corinth as well. Boy, do they love each other. And he's calling us back to that. So if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And yes, believe it or not, it's the love chapter. Everybody say love. love. And not that kind of love. It's the love chapter. And I have to say this, and this, you'll just have to excuse me uh, on this. Uh, I don't know if anybody of you hear that word love and all these different songs are coming to mind, but I'm literally in my office doing sermon prep and I'm going, what's love got to... People, help me out. What's love got to... There we go. What's love got to do with it? That's the question today. The answer, everything. Everything. Love's got everything to do with it. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're continuing this series called Corinthian Christianity and Us. What do we mean by that as we're traveling through the Bible together is that Paul is writing these letters, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, to the churches in these cities. And so he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And to give you a little bit of context for our reading today, the church in Corinth is a very, uh, diver it's in a diverse city. Corinth was a port city, which means there's a lot of people coming and going, different backgrounds and ethnicities. It's very, very diverse. And maybe at its best, the church in Corinth is a royal hot mess. I mean, it is, it is messed up, okay? Speaking of being in perfect churches, we're not an imperfect church. Like, if we're going to be known for anything, we want to be known for love, and that's what Paul is calling them back to today. The church in Corinth had gotten off track from the gospel, and so Paul is writing this letter to encourage, to challenge, to admonish them. There is uh, some reports that are getting back to Paul about arrogance, at the church in Corinth. There are some reports that are getting back to Paul of disunity and all centers around their understanding and their use of spiritual gifts. They are very, very spiritual, but very, very immature. Those two are not necessarily synonymous with each other. And I know when you see 1 Corinthians 13, you're like looking at it right now going, oh, it's the cute wedding scripture. I just heard that at a wedding last weekend. That's awesome. Or every single wedding I've ever been to. And if you got married and that was your verse, that's awesome. This is one of the best passages in all of scripture. But I want to kind of open up your thinking a little bit today and remind you that Paul did not write 1 Corinthians 13 for a cute little wedding. Okay? Sorry to break it to you. He wrote it to a church that was messed up that needed to move from immaturity to maturity. Amen? And so that's what Paul is encouraging with us today as well, is that we want to continue to grow up in the faith. And here's why. We won't understand chapter 13 unless we understand the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So go back to chapter 12. So just take your finger, turn one page back. We're going to get to 13, but we're going to start in 12. So we've got to understand what Paul is encouraging them with. In chapter 12, the Corinthian church has discovered what's called spiritual gifts. So Paul says this. To the church. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. 
God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Everybody say, help each other. That was the original goal. That was the original goal, but that is not what was happening. So what do we know? A lot of definitions of spiritual gifts out there, a lot of different church backgrounds, I know, but we'll run with this one today, okay? Spiritual gifts are blessings or abilities given by God to every believer to bless others and build up the church. That's why spiritual gifts exist. So these are different than natural abilities. This isn't like, I'm a great basketball player. I can jump high or run far. Those are natural gifts. These are gifts given specifically through the power of the Holy Spirit to those who believe. So let's just kind of break it down. To summarize, and this is kind of what's gone wrong in the Corinthian church. Number one, we know that these gifts are from the Spirit, meaning they're from God. In other words, you can't brag, but that's what was happening in the Corinthian church is they were saying, well, I got this gift, and so I'm kind of on this pedestal, kind of a holier-than-thou mentality looking down at other people because I have this gift, and apparently you have that gift, and so we're bragging a little bit. But we can't brag because here's the thing. The very nature of a gift is that it's not about you. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. So if you're going to brag about anything, like if you get a Christmas gift in your grandparents' living room, are you going to say, wow, I am so awesome because I got a new bike? No. If anything, if anything, you are going to give glory to and honor the giver, not the gift. And yet that's where the church had kind of gotten messed up as they got on their high horse and they were bragging. The very nature of a gift is brings humility. Number two about spiritual gifts, everyone has them. Everyone has them. And so you can't belittle, you can't belittle others, but you also, even it's just as dangerous, you can't belittle yourself. From time to time out here, people say like, oh, well, I, I'm not that kind of a Christian. I don't have like super spiritual holy gifts like that's not I'm not that kind of a Christian there's no sliding scale of Christianity right you either have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead living in you or you don't amen and you have it you have that so don't play small if you are here, if you can hear my voice, if you're here in the room, if you're worshiping with us online, that spirit, that power lives in you. So don't belittle yourself. Don't belittle others. But don't belittle yourself. God lives inside of you. And number three, what we got to understand about spiritual gifts is they are, what's the purpose? They are for the sake of building up the church. So there is no room for comparison. Maybe you've heard it said, but comparison is the thief of joy. Some of you are wondering why you don't have more joy in your life because all you do is scroll and it's just sucking the joy right out of your life. Comparison is the thief of joy and this is what was happening in Corinth. They'd fallen into this trap of comparing their gifts to others and it was causing division. And so in the back half of chapter 12, just before we get to 13, Paul says, okay, let me give you an illustration. Let me make it as simple as I can. Look at yourself. Look at your body. Like right now, like literally do it. Just look at your body. Check it out, right? Oh, I got good arms. I got good fingers. You know, just like look at your body, right? Paul says that is a healthy looking church. Why? Because all of your parts are working together. Your feet decided to get up this morning too and join you. Your elbows came to church. That's awesome. I love it, right? All the parts of the body are there. And Paul says that just as the different parts of the body can't say, well, the eye is more important than the ear. Well, if you don't have an arm, you can't have a hand, right? If you don't have your neck, you can't have your head. We can't compare ourselves to each other, but we do this in the church. Oh, I can't, I can't sing like Terrence. 
man, that guy's got pipes, you know. Man, Jory just belted that one out. I, so I'm just a little bit less. I can't pray like Bonnie, right? I, I'm, I can't heal like that person. I can't pray for somebody like that way. And we belittle ourselves and we compare ourselves. And we're like, man, if the church is like a body, I'm like, I'm like an elbow. I'm like this little part of the elbow, right? When's the last time you thought about your elbow, right? Some of you are like, I'm downplaying myself. I'm like the, I'm like the big toe of the church, right? Here's the thing. I read the injury reports for like 350-pound NFL lineman, broken, broken baby toe, out six weeks. I tell you that to tell you this. In football and in the church, visibility doesn't automatically equal significance. And some of you need to hear that. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, what volunteer team are you on in the church? Some of you are stay-at-home parents, and you're asking yourself, man, am I making any difference at all? Someday I'll make an impact for the kingdom when I can volunteer at church, but I'm just a stay-at-home parent. There is nothing more significant than discipling the people that are under your roof, okay? You have significance. Visibility does not automatically equal significance. It's not just what's seen. I mean, ask your brain. I haven't looked at my brain for a while. Ask your spine, right? Think about that. The point of the body is this, is that God has created every single one of us to be a part. And your greatest act of worship, the way that you can bring God the most glory, is not by looking around and trying to run somebody else's race, as Pastor Brian talked about last week. It's not by looking around in the body and saying, man, I'm a foot, but I wish I was a hand. Your greatest act of worship is stepping into who God has called you to uniquely be. We've only got one you, so you be you. Amen? We need you. We need you to play your part in the body, not one more important than the other. Here's the thing. Oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness does not mean sameness. Just like the, like the keys on a piano. Thank God that all the keys on the piano are tuned in a different way. In fact, a couple years ago, I came across this commercial, and I thought, that's it. And it came to my mind this week. Take a look at this commercial, and you tell me. There's a difference between oneness and sameness that can create a beautiful melody. Take a look. First of all, I don't know who that dude is, but we need to get him on the worship team. I, I, <laughs> call him up. Be together, not the same. That's 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. That's Paul's message to the church in Corinth. That's Paul's message to us. Thank God that every single one of those keys is tuned to a unique tune. And God is the ultimate composer, and he is looking to write a symphony in the city of Des Moines, and he needs you to play your part, amen, to play your note. So be you. Don't spend any more time looking around and belittling yourself or comparing yourself to others. Here's the thing. Are we going to be a church that competes and compares, or are we going to be a church that celebrates and champions each other? That when we see somebody else doing something well that we would like to do, oh, wow, praise God. Why? Because it's not about me, and it's never been about me, and it's about what God wants to do through this church for the kingdom. It's not about Lutheran Church of Hope. It's not about Hope Elam. It's not about any of us individually. It's about what he wants to do collectively in and through us. And when we do that, when we, God is able to play that beautiful melody, it's how we love each other well. 
When we lift each other up and celebrate and encourage each other, we are loving each other well. That's what we were designed for with each other. Turn to your neighbor, look at him right now with a big old smile and say, neighbor, I got nothing but love for you. Tell him that right now. I got nothing but love for you. Tell him that. I got nothing but love. I got nothing but love for you. Here's the thing. Genuine, God-given love will not allow you to make it about yourself. So the more we stay connected to the vine, the vine and the branches, the more we connect to the source, it's not going to be about you. And so instead of bragging or comparison, Paul flips the scripts. And at the end of chapter 12, in verse 31, he kind of gives us a teaser and he says, now, now that I've told you what maybe you can work on a little bit, let me show you a different way. Walk this way, Paul says. Let me show you a better way to live. And he says this at the very beginning of chapter 13. Now this should be familiar to you, starting in verse 1. Paul says, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. In other words, stop playing the game of church. Stop going through the motions as we can pray and we could preach and we could teach and we could serve and we could give our time and you could give money to the church. I mean, you could do anything. But if love is not your primary motivation, we've missed the point. And, and Paul even gives us this crazy illustration. We don't own a gong, okay? But think about this. If love is not your motivation, all of those spiritual things I just said you could do to look the parts in church and to go through the motions, they sound like a noisy gong over and over again. Some of you are like, shut it off. And that's how we live sometimes. What is Paul saying? Your lack of love in all of your good works is so loud, it's drowning out your message. I can't hear what you're saying because there's no love behind your actions. I mean, Eric's got more room to go there. We could bounce that up and make it a little bit you know, louder, a little bit more <laughs> annoying, but we are not going to do that, okay? Now, when we say love, what do we mean? Because some of you are like, love, love, I, I got the love, I love this, I love that, right? We get incredible mileage out of this word called love. We use it in the English language for a lot of different things. In the same sentence, I say, I love my best friend. Man, I have unconditional love for my wife. And in the same sentence, I say, and I love tacos, and I love a new pair of pants, right? So no wonder we're confused about love, right? And in the Greek language in which the New Testament was primarily written, there are six different words, Greek words for the word love. But for our sake of our time today, we're going to use the one that's here in 1 Corinthians 13, and it's agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. Agape is a form of, it's the highest form of love. Between God and his children, agape is a radical, self-sacrificing love that expects nothing in return. God's love. 
And we have a hard time getting our heads around this. This is the love that Paul is encouraging all of us to have for each other. This isn't just like, well, God's perfect and I'm not, so I'll never be able to love like that. No, this is the bar. This is what we're striving for. This is what it means to be a healthy church. Agape kind of love. And I was thinking, like, how, how do we put this in, in human terms? Parents, maybe you have felt this. Agape is also used to describe the love of a parent for their child in Scripture as well, or God for us. One of my great accomplishments on sabbatical, a lot of people ask me, what, uh, what are you most proud of during your time away? Did you, did you write a book? Did you do a dissertation? Did you do a deep theological study? And, uh, you know, a little bit, but the thing that I'm most proud of is that our daughter, Evie, is that I stuck it out with her, and that girl can ride a bike without training wheels. I'm, I'm man, that's big stuff. Big stuff. And here's why I tell you that to tell you this is because there was many a hot summer May and June afternoons where like our road was shut down for construction all summer. And so we are literally riding this bike and falling and riding and falling back and forth in the middle of the street. And I am sweating and I am sweating and sweating and I'm chasing her down and daddy, no, stop and all of this stuff. I mean, we, she finally got it. It only took about seven 17, uh, 17 arguments uh, to get there uh, each day. Uh, Daddy, no. Daddy, stop. Uh, Daddy, let go. I'll tell you when to let go. Why did you let go? Stop. Grab. Stop. No, Daddy, come on. And I'm just literally chasing her up and down. The neighbors probably think we're, way to go, Dad. You know, just running back and forth. There was a point where we're standing in the middle of the road on Kingman Boulevard, and she is kicking her bike, and she's saying, come on, bike. It's your fault. You're not doing it right. Come on, bike. It's always the bike's fault just like it's the car's fault that cut you off, right? But I tell you what, the look on her face, when she finally got it, and I, I didn't need to chase her, I just chased her out of pure excitement and just chasing her down the street. I'm like, you're doing it? She's like, Daddy, I'm doing it! And I go, I know! And it's like, I would... I would do that all over again because what I just kept telling myself in all of those arguments and all of those frustrations is whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, agape. And I'm not talking about dads teaching their girls how to ride a bike. I'm talking about the way that we interact with each other as a church. Agape doesn't give up. Agape keeps no records of wrongs. If it kept a record of wrongs, she would be still on training wheels. Like, that would not happen, right? <laughs> so mad at you right now. <laughs> Whatever it takes. And it just so happens that that word agape then is the same word of love to describe Jesus' love for you as he went to the cross. A self-sacrificing love that expects nothing in return, but yet demands everything. Demands our all. And just to think that my love for that little girl is an imperfect fraction of the love that your heavenly Father has for you this morning. Like, receive that. Don't leave here today without knowing that in the depths of who you are, that you are so loved. And Jesus looked at you and when you were messing up and yelling at the bike, saying, whatever it takes for my son, whatever it takes for my daughter, we're going to learn how to do this. We're going to learn how to ride. We're going to learn how to pedal. We're going to learn how to be 
the church. Don't miss the love that God has for you, whatever it takes. Okay, here we go. I'm doing sermon prep and another song. I'm just, you got to help me out here. What the world needs now is love. Sweet. Okay, we're getting there. Choir's in the distance somewhere, but we're getting there, right? <laughs> love, sweet love. It's important to know that the agape love that Paul is talking about is not generic love. It's not just feelings of emotions that come and go. It's not warm fuzzies. What Paul is talking about here is a radical kind of love, an agape kind of love that could lead you, get this, it's easy to love the people that you like. It's easy to love the people that agree with you. It's easy to love the people that vote the same way that you do. It's easy to love the people that have the same color skin. It's easy to love the kind of people that live where you do and walk where you do and talk where you do and look like you do. Agape love leads you to love your enemies. Ooh. Sit on that one for a second. It's the kind of love that says, I am going to fight against these injustices that are around me, even if they don't directly affect me. That's agape kind of love. It's the kind of love that can transform these neighborhoods. It's the kind of love that can transform a marriage or a family. <laughs> and that love can only flow from a relationship with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, and hear me out, having good values or good morals alone doesn't have the power to transform a human heart or a church or a city. When we talk about love, we're not talking about good, warm, fuzzy feelings. We're talking about the most powerful force in the universe. That's Jesus' love. Amen? We're talking about Jesus' love. Okay? Now you might say, duh, John, like you don't need to be a biblical scholar to figure that out. Like I came to church, love, I already knew that, right? What the world needs now is love. No, but what we often do is that we think that the point is being a biblical scholar. From time to time, not very often, but from time to time, I hear people say, Pastor John, I'm ready to go deep. And I'm like, awesome. Hope you uh, brought, your, brought your waiter boots. I, you're ready to go deep, right? My Bible study is not deep enough. This, my small group's not deep enough, so I'm getting a news. My old church isn't deep enough. I, I, I need to go deeper. And, and that's good, and most of the time what is meant by that is a genuine desire and a hunger for more. But often what can happen is there's this sneaky, dangerous thing that happens where we equate the accumulation of knowledge and information with spiritual maturity. But you can't consume your way to maturity. The goal is not to get through the Bible. The, the goal is for the Bible to get through you. Like to transform you, okay? So I can spout off all of these things, but it's not just about going deep in that way. Paul has something to say about this in chapter 13, if you're following along in verse 8. Paul says this, But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. And we skip ahead to verse 13, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. <laughs> More information does not necessarily is not what Paul is going for here. This is coming from Paul. Paul is one of the most decorated, one of the most deepest biblical theologians that the world has ever known. He's reached the top of the top of the top. He's had titles and power and charisma. He's a scholar. He knows the Bible inside and out. And he comes to a startling conclusion as he doesn't know how much time he has left in his life. And he's looking back on his life of what really matters. And he comes to this startling conclusion that if my heart doesn't beat for the things that God's heart beats for, what am I doing? Like I've, I've done it wrong. <laughs> if my faith 
doesn't lead me to love God and to love others with a genuine, authentic love, I've missed it. I mean, you can write on my tombstone, brilliant performance for this guy, but he missed the point. Because here's the thing. You might speak in tongues and be flat out mean with your tongue. You might pray beautiful prayers behind and just go gossip about people the rest of the week behind the scenes. You might have amazing charisma in front of people, but your integrity is suspect. Who are you when no one's looking? God's looking at that way more than he's looking at what's going on on the stage. Because here's something that we forget that Jesus wants to remind all of us this morning. Your gifting will only take you as far as your character will sustain you. The deeper you get, and I'm using that in a different way now, the deeper you get into this and the longer I follow Jesus, that becomes more and more true. My concern anymore is not how much what other people think of me, it's what God thinks of me. Because he knows and sees everything, right? Behind the scenes, okay? Don't get me wrong. You can't consume your way to maturity, but, but don't, don't mistake me. We want you to read the Bible. We're devoting an entire year. That's our focus. We want you to do Bible studies. We want you to grow in information and knowledge and, and all of that. But does it lead you to become a healthy member of God's family? You can quote scripture left and right and still be a jerk. Amen? Does it transform you? Does it lead you to love others like Jesus? Man, I, I want to go deep. <laughs> I've seen some deep things. I've been back for a week and I've just been observing and just taking it all in and, and looking around the love that this church has for each other. I want to tell you some deep things I've seen in just the last week. There are kids that are, speaking of not seen but significant, there are dozens and dozens of kids up in Hope Elam Kids right now that just won't stop inviting their friends. Like they, we tell them that all the time. We tell you that every week. They just keep inviting their friends. I keep inviting them to student ministry and Hope Elam Kids and Vacation Bible School. Like, school friends. They don't come to this church. School friends, youth sports friends, soccer friends. Let's go. Jesus loves me and I want, him to, I want you to experience his love. When's the last time that I invited somebody to church? I don't know. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? That's deep. Because agape love gets out of your comfort zone and takes risks. I love hearing stories of several of you have come up and said, I've been picking up my friend here that's sitting with me. They don't have a car. They don't have a way to get to church. And so I know I'm comfortable and I've got a seat in the pew. But Agape Love says, who can I pick up and bring to church that doesn't have a ride? That's deep. That's deep. I've heard of some groups, small groups of men and women, just two to three men or women getting together. And it's not about how much of the Bible they get through. They know what's going on in each other's lives. And they've taken the time to be open and vulnerable and transparent that they know each other's stories. They know what's going on in each other's lives and so they can stay hedged in as we talked about it. That's deep. Vulnerability is deep. I've heard of some, and I've been a part of and witnessed some people in the church having tough, honest conversations with each other. Like speaking the truth in love. And it's not truth if it's not done in love a lot of times. And so I've heard people having these conversations and some hard things spoken, but instead of met, met with defensiveness, it's met with empathy and forgiveness. That's deep. That's, that's maturity. Amen? Because here's the thing. <laughs> love's, love's messy. Here's the thing. Go to the next slide. Love is not always we agree with each other. Because if it was, I wouldn't be married. I don't know about you, right? 
Here's a big one. Love does not equal uniformity. I can love you and we are so vastly different and believe different things and vote differently and live in different... We can still love each other and be family together. Love does not mean that I stay in my comfort zone. In fact, agape love often moves us into places of kingdom risks, outside of my comfort zone. (laughs) Things that are deep. Love is messy. Love takes kingdom risks. And that's why there's hundreds of you that are signed up to volunteer for Vacation Bible School. And here's why I get excited about that, because there are more kids signed up for Vacation Bible School than ever before in our church as well. So praise God for that. That is awesome. And there is still plenty of room for more, but this is what I love about Vacation Bible School. We're almost there. I'm like a kid in a candy store. I just can't wait. I'm so, I'm so giddy about this, because here's the thing. Seems like more than any other time during the year, and it pops up at different things that we do where everybody's needed, but you see it at Vacation Bible School. It's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ because everybody finds their note to play. And nobody is more important than anybody else. And you want to know why people just love to be a part of that? Because you were created for it. You were created to be a part of something bigger than you. Solo, independent Christianity gets really boring. You want to take some risks? You want to make a difference? Live life in community. It's messy. You're going to bump up against each other. You're going to rub elbows. You're going to fall down. You're going to skin your knees. Somebody's going to trip you. Somebody's going to offend you. But man, we are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God in Des Moines. Amen? That's what it's about. That's what it means to be the church. And I love that. And I love that. And here's the thing. Some of you are on the fence and you're like, oh, that's cute. You know, children's ministry, rah, rah, been there, done that. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, the kids thing, it's just, you know, simple little Bible stories and songs. Please do not mistake simple for shallow. Because here's what happens every You come and you're like, I'm doing the kids a favor. Look at me, right? <laughs> and you know what happens about halfway through the week at VBS? God just wrecks your heart. And he starts pouring his love into your little kid in a, an adult body heart. And he just starts this little midsummer revival in your adult heart. And you're like, where did that come from? And God says, I needed to use vacation Bible school to get your attention to let my love all the way in, God says. Let it all the way in. Don't miss out on what God has for you. Play your note. Play your part. Surprise. Why do we, why do we focus on kids? Because Jesus lifts them up and mainly... It's because of kids' incredible ability to give and receive love. And somewhere along the line, we stop doing that. And we experience hatred and bigotry and prejudice and racism. And all these things start sprouting up. And it's just because we're grown-up kids. And these are learned things that we pick up along the way and we assume they're okay. Watch the kids at Vacation Bible School. I don't care who's in my group. I don't care what color skin. I don't care if they have a mom and dad in their house. I don't care if they're adopted or not. I don't care if they've ever stepped foot in here before. We're in a group together. We're the church, baby. Like, that's the example that they give us, right? It's awesome. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Agape love takes risks. Agape love gets messy. And finally, agape love goes to the source. It goes to the source. Here's one thing about this list in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not boastful or rude. You start going through that. I've officiated so many weddings, and I read that, and I'm, the couple is right here, and I'm reading it to them. And everybody's like, oh, that's so cute. And then I look at them with all of my pastoral wisdom, and I say, what I just told you to do is impossible. So good luck. 
Isn't that romantic? (laughs) On your own. On your own. Any couple that wants to have a great marriage is going to be desperate for Jesus. You want to be an awesome friend? You want to be an awesome boss or leader or coworker or friend or small group member or church member or parent or whatever it is? Be desperate for Jesus every single day. Go to the source. Amen. Be with him every single day. End with a quick story. A while back, our kids were in the backyard. Um, this was before the bike incident, but uh, playing in the sandbox, and they were trying to build. I asked them what they're doing, and oh, we're building a castle, and they have a big circle, building a moat, water around it. And so I come back about 10 minutes later, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're running all the way back and forth across the yard with these little cups, these little dishes, because it had rained the night before, and they're scooping up the puddles, and there's little puddles on the deck and in the mud, and they're dumping them in the moat, and I'm like, this is never going to work. This is terrible. Great idea. Terrible execution, kids. Like, it's going to soak it up. You need more water. And so without them knowing, their dad, their father, working behind the scenes, you see where I'm going here, I go and get the garden hose and I put on the attachment that's like the power sprayer, the washer, and I walk over behind them. They're like sitting right here playing. They don't see me coming. And I go, hey, kids, look at this. And I just go, I just hosed the whole thing. I probably knocked down their castle. I'm spraying them, and they're laughing and giggling and running all over the yard, and I throw the hose over my shoulder. I'm like, and now you have a moat. (laughs) Boom. Some of us are running around in our lives with little cups trying to pick up water in puddles when God is saying, come be saturated by the water of life. Come to me. Go to the source. Turn on the faucet. Stop settling for all these lesser lovers and go to the faucet. Go to the source to be filled up by God's love. That's where it starts and that's where it ends and that's everywhere in between. What's love got to do with it? And I'm not going to sing it again. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. And so we end where we started. The vine and the branches. Stay connected to the source this summer. Whatever you do, make it a priority. Every single day, live the abiding life. Don't do ministry for God. Do it with him. With his arm around you saying, let's do this together. Walk with me. Stay connected to me. And one of the beautiful things about the vine and the branches analogy is that even when you don't feel it and even when you don't see it, he's working. He's growing. He's producing the fruit. He's going to rescue your marriage. He's going to intervene in your family. He's going to help whatever you're going through. He's working behind the scenes. He's not done working in your life. Stay connected to him. Spend time this summer letting your soul catch up with your body. Be whole. Be complete. Be with Jesus. Go back to the source and let him saturate you with his agape love. Amen? And when we do that, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we keep the main thing the main thing, when we make Jesus' love more than anything else, any cause, any agenda, any injustice, when we make God's love the heartbeat of this church, nothing will be able to stop what God wants to do in the city of Des Moines. Amen? He's the way maker. Let's stand up and sing about it. Let's worship together. Let's sing.
so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.